Good morning, everyone. And I, too, would like to welcome you to our Sunday service from Ananda Village. And we, it's such a joy to be able to share with you in this way. And we look forward also to the day when we can come together in person. So we have a wonderful, wonderful topic this week. The importance of soul receptivity. This is, of course, from Rays of the One Light, commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. John states, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This was a passage Paramahansa Yogananda often quoted to his disciples. Be in tune, he would tell them. Delusion can't touch you if you will keep in tune. A few of you will fall, he once said, but it needn't be if you would stay in tune. Of a disciple who was highly advanced, even though she didn't meditate much, he said, she got there by attunement. To one who found meditation difficult, he said, I will meditate for you as long as you stay in tune. Truth is a state of consciousness, not a well-worded definition. It is in that consciousness, above all, that our lives are transformed. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, to those who are ever attached to me and who worship me with love, I impart discernment by means of which they attain me. Out of my love for them, I, the divine within them, set a light in them, the radiant lamp of wisdom, thereby dispelling the darkness of their ignorance. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning. I want to uh, acknowledge this is our first use of this beautiful new table. I'm going to show it to you. One of our members, who's a wonderful woodworker, uh, didn't think that our former folding TV tray was quite the right uh, venue to place the reading and the uh, drink on. So he made this beautiful table. Creativity flows in so many different ways and is always beautiful. I think I shared with you already that one of my practices for this year 
is to deepen my attunement with Master by uh, delving deeply into Whispers from Eternity, his book of prayer demands. And I'm going to read one this morning that is a very beautiful one and very pertinent for this topic. Prayer demand for removing the cork of ignorance. No more shall my consciousness remain bottled in this little vessel of flesh, corked with ignorance. No more will I remain moving through the sea of cosmic consciousness, night and day, years, decades, and how many incarnations, so close, yet never able to contact thy sea. Through the bursting vibration of cosmic sound, and the surging of thy holy name, I have removed the cork of ignorance which so long separated me from thee, though we meet, lived together so closely. Now my body consciousness will meet thy all-surrounding, all-pervading consciousness. No longer will I walk heedlessly in thee, but never knowing and feeling thee. Thine image within me shall meet thine image everywhere. By releasing the I-ness in me, I will know that I am thou and that thou art the little egos of us all. Beautiful prayer demand. <clears throat> so this topic this morning about attunement one could say this is the central topic on the spiritual path because attunement with the divine is the whole of this spiritual path. In the long, one might say, evolutionary practice process of the evolution of consciousness, we go through many, many tens of thousands, millions of lives as mineral, plant, and animal kingdom. And during that time, we don't have any realistic free will. We simply are. A rock doesn't have a whole lot of free will to be other than a rock. But nonetheless, we have incarnated. Master said that he remembered his incarnation as a diamond. Now, that's a that's a, both a beautiful and frightening thing that we have incarnated in all these forms. But when we come into man, uh, into a human body and are born as a man or a woman, along with that comes the gift and the curse of free will. We can choose to move toward the light or we can choose to move away from the light. We can choose to move toward God or away from God. We can choose to move toward uh, merging our consciousness into the sea of infinity as we were reading in whispers from eternity to try to remove that cork of ignorance. Or we can choose to say, oh, I'm having so much fun bouncing around on these waves. Pound that cork down a little tighter and don't let any of that cosmic sea sip in. Well, Many, many people make that choice. For us as devotees, it sounds absurd, but not when you're at the point 
where you're really, really enjoying the uh, bashings of ignorance. So we have that choice to move toward God or to move away from God. And the more we try to make that choice of aligning our free will with the cosmic will of God, then the, the more we release the bonds of ego. Now, at first, that process takes the place of when we want to do it. We have to want to do it because if we don't want to do it, then God just lets us play. I've sometimes thought of incarnational and reincarnation like having an endless uh, reel of tickets to Disneyland. You know, as long as we want to go on those rides and eat that cotton candy and um, hear the whatever it is, the sounds and the, the clamor of all of that, as long as we want to do that, we have an endless ticket to let's go back and ride whatever it is, that Matterhorn a roller coaster ride. At least they used to have it when I visited there, when we went there with Swami Kriyananda. But the point here is, as long as we're wanting to play in this world, we get to play just as long as we want. But then comes a time when it begins, as Master said, to be agonizingly boring. Uh, anguishing monotony of it all. And then we want to get out. We, we're tired of that. And when that happens, then we open ourselves to the flow of teachings of the divine. And even that process is, from our standpoint, a very long one. From the standpoint of infinity, it happens just like that. But from our standpoint, it's many, many incarnations. And at first, we hear nice things, you know, um, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Well, we hear those nice maxims, play nice with your fellow um, students, play nice with others, don't, don't take all the toys for yourself. And we say, oh, that's really nice, I think I'll do that. And we hear those maxims, but Gradually, that doesn't become enough, and then we get a little more serious, and we start really reading and studying books, and if we're serious about that, that isn't enough. And then we find a teacher, and that teacher begins to teach us, and uh, it's much, much, much better to learn from a teacher because the teacher responds to us. As Master said, you can read the Bible and argue with it, but the Bible won't argue back. So why would we argue with the Bible? Because we're ignorant. And so we're going to say, well, that isn't true, or that doesn't work, or I don't believe in that miracle. And we'll argue, but the Bible won't argue back. But a teacher, if he cares about us, and, and he recognizes that, we have the potential to do something more than just argue with him, then he will begin to, um, to 
work with us individually. And he will show us how to live by modeling his life. And if we're serious about that, then a good teacher will lead us through this process to an enlightened guru. And what's the difference between a guru and a teacher? A teacher is still in the process of moving toward final enlightenment himself or herself. A guru has already gotten there. And along with the guru comes the power and the magnetism of giving us the direct experience of what we're after. A teacher can't do that, but a guru can. One of the most beautiful chapters in the autobiography of a yogi was Master's chapter on my experience in cosmic consciousness. If you remember the, the beautiful explanation of it, first of all, in a very heartening sense, Master said that he was meditating. And Sri Yukteswar called Yogananda's guru, Sri Yukteswar called to him, Mukunda, come down here. And Master, arguing with his guru, said, Master, I'm meditating. A little while passed. Mukunda, come down here. Master, I'm meditating. Mukunda, I know how you're meditating with your mind with your thoughts distributed like leaves in the wind. Mukunda, come down here. Yes, Master. So he comes down. They go out on the porch, and then Master said, I know that you have been waiting for this for a long time. And he taps him on the chest and gives him the actual experience of cosmic consciousness. The breath stops, the mind stops, the intuition goes out, and he perceives the entire world around him, behind him. Uh, you know, our sight sees only in front of us, but he perceived everything. He looked through the walls. He could see a cow passing. When it came to the open gate, he saw it. When it went behind the other part of the wall, he continued to see it. He, he had the actual experience. That's the difference with the guru. The guru gives us the actual experience of cosmic consciousness. And that's what we're after, not secondhand reports of it. Secondhand reports by valid people are very, very, very important along the way because it begins to get us open to it but it's not what we're after. It won't satisfy us. All of us know this. We aren't satisfied in meditation when we try the best we can, but the time for meditation ends and we still haven't had the cosmic vision. I know I, I always leave with a little sense of regret, a meditation like that, because I'm waiting for that time to come when I have the actual experience of it. That comes by attunement with the guru. Remember what Krishna said in the Gita? This is very important. He said, out of love for you, I, the divine within you, the divine within us, out of love, that's the guru. The physical guru is just 
because we need some form to look at, to think about, to model our behavior after. The true guru is God within us. And, and the job of the guru is to introduce us, not to him. He doesn't want us just following him. He wants us to follow him because he will align us with the divine that is residing already within us. And when we're ready, then that introduction will take place. How do we get ready? When are we ready? Well, it takes time. We have to get rid of all of the resistances that keep us from wanting that. St. Paul said, Lord, make me a saint, but not yet. And what? St. Augustine, thank you. St. Augustine said, Lord, make me a saint, but not yet. That's, that's the position of so many of us. There are little resistances within us. And as long as there are resistances, as long as we aren't ripe, you know, in um, English, we have the word for the beautiful uh, plant, uh, sunflower. But there's a much better word in Italian. It's girasole. Girasole means not sunflower, but sun turner. Because the sunflower has the ability, think of a big sunflower with thousands of seeds in it. That sunflower follows the sun as it passes. And you see a whole field near our community in Assisi. There are fields and fields, acres and acres of sunflowers. And they're all tracking the sun, tracking the sun. Why are they doing that? Well, all of those thousands of seeds are gradually getting ripe. And by tracking the sun, they use their little plant willpower, individual willpower, to follow the sun to ripen those seeds. And we too, the sun for us is the spiritual eye. The more we follow the spiritual eye, which is also the seat of the guru, the more we attune to that, all of those little seeds within us get ripe. And if they aren't ripe, they resist. They'll, they'll, they're in our nervous system. And if we were to all of a sudden have this experience that Master had of cosmic consciousness, it would burn up our nervous system because there's still too much resistance of the unripe seeds within us. One time one of his advanced disciples said, Master, give me samadhi. And Master just looked at him and said, if I gave it to you, would you be ready for it? No, Master. Because he, he wasn't ready. So we have to keep turning, using our will to turn toward that. Now, the job of the guru, the job of a teacher, is to help us continue to turn and to attune. And that, one might say, is their only job. They give us techniques, they give us teachings, they give us moral principles, they give us attitudes to have. All of that is only so we can align our individual will with the divine will within us. But we we're not there yet. The seeds aren't all ripe, and so we resist. When Swami Kriyananda would talk, 
he would maybe give a 45-minute talk, an hour talk, and he'd throw out 20 or 30 concepts during that that time and give wonderful stories and illustrations and uh, kind of weave things together. But sitting in the audience, think of uh, 200 people sitting in the audience listening to this talk. And one of those 30 concepts will strike somebody in there, will push their button because there's some resistance in them about that particular concept. I don't even know. I'll just throw out something that is a little silly as an illustration. Master told this story about, um, uh, Swami told this story about being with Master in the desert and a, a dog came over and Master said, you know, dogs are not as evolved as humans. The energy is going down the spine. That's why uh, the energy being downward directed why they have a tail and the dog was wagging his tail and it wanted some food and the master said look it's wanting food so it's it's little forehead has wrinkled up uh, begging for food and and because it's concentrated there at the forehead wanting to use its will to to draw uh, some food well he could tell that story and I don't know if you were some sort of a dog lover, you'd say, well, he's, he's dissing dogs. That's a terrible story to have. And everybody else is in the audience saying, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? And if they knew that you were upset with Swami for telling that, they'd say, oh, terrible, terrible, until he tells the next story, and that pushes your button. And the dog lover say, wonderful, wonderful. And you're saying, oh, that's a terrible thing to say. I don't know, maybe he told something about cats. I don't, and I'm, I'm just using this as an illustration. We have these resistances within us. And part of the guru's job is to force us to confront those resistances. Swami did that generally in a general way but because he also worked with each of us individually, he would work with us against our individual resistances. One of the ways that he worked with me is I have a very logical mind, too logical. And he worked with me to break down the logical mind because I guarantee you, you do not carry your logical mind into the experience of cosmic consciousness. The logical mind is going to say, but you can't see a cow behind the wall. The wall is blocking that. I mean, I've seen that a hundred thousand times that you can't see a cow or you can't see something that's behind a wall. It's logical. Well, logic isn't going to carry you into cosmic consciousness. And so Swamiji one of his jobs with me was to work against logic for me. When I started to paint, he said, he, he very much encouraged me. He said, not so much that, oh, you're a good painter. He didn't care about the quality of whether I could paint or not paint. He said, it'll be good for you. It will help develop your intuition. He was trying to work with me in ways to get me to drop that particular thing. 
But he worked with different people and sometimes he would push their buttons. That was his job. He's trying to get us to ripen those seeds and align our will with the divine will. And it was master's job with him. Master would sometimes correct him in ways that he needed to have correction. When Master uh, Swami said that when he was relatively early in his time with Master, all of a sudden from the past, all these doubts, because um, Master later told him, you were in the past, in a past lives, you were eaten up with doubts. But all of these doubts started coming up. And as Swami put it, Master could be saying that it's sunny in San Diego, and Swami's immediate thought would be, I'll bet it's raining there. And he knew it wasn't. It was just that unripe tendency to resist the guru. Well, Master didn't come and say, oh, poor Walter, poor you, you have these doubts. Let me explain to you. Let me work with... Master just let him stew in his juices until he was ready and finally that karmic aspect passed and master didn't in this case need to push his buttons with that but if he needed it I'm sure master would have done it but then that period passed and Swami was fine I heard from another direct disciple of masters that he he was a monk with master and there was a young man who was thinking of joining the monastery and this monk came and said to Master, oh, he's a wonderful young man, um, and he wants to join. And Master said, well, let's see. And so a couple of days later, Master asked the monk and this young man to come to Lake Shrine because he wanted to plant a, a big pine tree on the hillside there. And so he had them dig a hole, and they planted the thing, and covered it up and master looked and he said, no, it's just not quite right. Um, dig a hole about two feet to the left there. And so they dug a hole, they dug it up, they moved it to the next hole. And master said, that's, that's the right place, but it needs to come forward a couple of feet. So this went on over and over and over again. And finally, the day ended, and they had, I guess by this time, finally put it in the place that Master wanted it. And that night, the new recruit said, that fellow is absolutely crazy. He can't even decide where he wants a tree. I'm not going to follow him. And he left. And Master, the next day, just didn't say anything, kind of smiled. But that man... The seeds were too unripe for him to be able to attune himself to the guru, attune himself to higher consciousness, attune himself to his own divine within himself that was manifesting, in this case, potentially as master. Wasn't either, either master wasn't his guru or it wasn't his time yet, Whatever it was, that those seeds were too unripe. He has to keep turning toward the sun. Whatever sun attracts him, he has to keep turning. 
and gradually the process will bring him along until he is, is ready. And now, for you and me, I think those seeds are mostly ripe. And all we have to do is keep turning as sincerely, as deeply, as with as much self-offering as we possibly can. And how do we know if there's an unripe seed? Something in us is going to react. Some negativity, some pushing back will come up. And if there is that, then what we need to do is realize oh, there's, there's another one in there. Let me turn that one toward the light. Because unlike the sunflower that has just one layer of seeds, we have a subconscious mind. And so we have past seeds of past karma that we don't see on the surface. And all, all we know is that there's something in there that doesn't quite work, it doesn't quite fit. Well, we can't get at them through our logic. We can't get at them through reading. We can't get at them through the working with our hands. All of those things help. But the only way we will ultimately get out is by completely attuning our free will with the will of the guru. And in that final complete attunement, the guru will say, now he's ready. And tap us on the chest within. It doesn't have to be in a physical form. He will give us the enlightening touch that he alone, God in that form alone, is ready to give to us. And we will finally part every veil of delusion that keeps us from merging. And then that cork of ignorance will pop out of our bottle and the water that is the seawater the sea that is within that bottle will remerge with the cosmic sea. I have been roaming forsaken by thee who has seen me grow shall be roaming, roaming, bursting all the boundaries of heart, evermore moving toward thee, to thy best and throbbing heart. Come thou to me, centuries I have waited now for thee 
So oh. 